Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting his kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Today's message is part four. Life is meaningless without God. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. So we are going to be back in Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and, uh, and then a little bit in, in chapter 5. Um, one of the things that's really challenging with Ecclesiastes and trying to preach through Ecclesiastes is that um, there, there is some repetition, which you see that in, in a lot of places in the Bible, that it kind of repeats itself and kind of repeats themes, which is fine because... That's how we learn, right? We learn through repetition. And, you know, you have to uh, hear something, sometimes hear or see or experience something nearly seven times before you'll, it'll really become something that you remember. Like if you're trying to promote an event, people need to hear it in seven different ways nearly. I mean, we're, we're kind of weird that way. And so the Bible does that. Ecclesiastes is no different. It, it, it repeats uh, things. And, and so as you try to, uh, come up with, okay, how am I going to preach this? You don't want it to be just the same old, same old, especially through Ecclesiastes, because it's really depressing, right? Because Ecclesiastes focuses on the ugly reality of life, which is very important that we understand the ugly reality of life, right? And uh, what what the reason that I think a lot of people are, struggle with the book of Ecclesiastes is we really don't we don't see any uh, alternative presented necessarily in the book of Ecclesiastes. The rest of the Bible talks about how we engage this this reality of life, but Ecclesiastes he just kind of keeps getting. It's like he he's writing down things that are frustrating, and then he gets to a point and he goes, "Oh yeah," and then th- that reminds me of this other thing that's frustrating. And sometimes it doesn't really even flow. And uh, but but what I found is that there are, are some nearly unintentional, um, kind of uh, very helpful phrases and thoughts that are sprinkled throughout Ecclesiastes that, that remind us, okay, this is how you deal with this, right? And it's, and it's done in, in subtle ways. And, uh, and so today, um, I, I hope uh, that this works. And again, I, I try to be fairly honest, but as a pastor, you don't always know if a sermon is going to work. And, uh, and this is kind of one of those things. I'm, I'm trying to combine a couple of different ideas, and uh, it worked in my head. Um, but uh, it, it was, there are no theatrics uh, this week, so I don't have to worry about burning down the church. So that's, that'll be a, a positive. Uh, and I won't give Derek. He won't be able to burn down the church. If you were here in second service, that was entertaining. But uh, it, was, it was after the service. But uh, so so we're going to look in Ecclesiastes chapter four and and as we're going to read uh, verses one through twelve. And uh, I'm going to kind of stop and start. Um, and uh, so, Chris, you can just leave it up on the on the screen and you just follow along. So good, good luck. So, but uh, chapter chapter four says again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, 
who has not seen the evil that, that is done under the sun. All right, I'm going to stop right there. That nearly reminds me of those sentiments. I think you can read some op-ed pieces today that will remind you of that. That will that will uh, that, that engage in this struggle of the oppressed and the oppressors and where the power lies. Right, that's a, that's big right now. Guess what? Ecclesiastes wasn't written since Donald Trump became president. Right, that's when it, it's all been heightened. Things have been heightened. We can all agree with that. Right, this was written thousands of years ago because guess what? Injustice and inequity and power privilege and power underprivilege existed then too. Right? And I think that's, that is important for us to understand. Because we're getting very angry about all of this. You know, and, and as we should, like we shouldn't like this. I'm not, never saying that we should say, oh yeah, that's, that's the way it is, so we just celebrate it. But we do need to recognize that in human history, there has been no system or uh, program of how to eliminate this. And guess what? There's not going to be. And this is where faith comes in and is very important because as someone of faith, we basically do believe the overarching story of God is that we live in a fallen world, which means there are going to be things that are never the way they should be. Now, can we make them better or make them worse? Sure, right? There's been periods in history where the inequity and the injustice is much higher than it is now, right? We see that even in our own country, right? I mean, we had a time where we had rampant slavery in our country. The, the balance of oppressed and oppressors was much wider then. Right? So we, we all understand this, and I, I, I think it's important to us to recognize this is the cause of this is not, it's not, it really is not a system of government. It's the human condition. It's living in this fallen world. And then whenever you combine someone who grabs power and then is also evil, it can be exasperated that much more. So, so right. we, we see that. We see this injustice uh, all the way from the beginning of time. And, and we've got to understand that. And, and what we tend to do, unfortunately, is we, uh, and, I, and I'll bring out kind of from the political stereotypical framework of this, we, we, uh, we tend to go too far one direction, Right. So the conservative side, the stereotype whenever they see oppression and injustice is they say, well, that's just the way it is. Who cares? Right. That's kind of the that's the extreme stereotype. The other side um, is is basically your Marxist view It's like, no, we can create a system where everyone is the same, where there is no more injustice. And that's a very broad summary of Marxist views. But that's basically what it is, is we're going to eliminate any uh, inequality. Okay, that's, that is, that's just as crazy as looking at the system and saying, ah, that's the way it is, we're not going to do anything. Right? And the reality is, is most people don't fall in those places. We're all kind of enmeshed in the middle. But it, it, is, it is so important for us as we 
look at the world and we see the inequity and the inequality that is out there, that we recognize where that's ultimately coming from. And that's coming from the fact that we live in a fallen world and that people are going to take advantage where they can and that we need to work to minimize that as much as we can. And we need to make sure that we do recognize if we are in positions of being the oppressed or being the oppressor. And we need to recognize where we are and how we can how we treat people and that we don't come at it from that framework. But it is so important that we understand, hey, this is this is part of life and it is really frustrating. Right. And uh, and then he goes on. So this is in verse four says, and I saw all, that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is, that's a kind of an interesting phrase. It springs from one person's envy of another. This is following this, you know, kind of his observation of uh, the, the use of power and stuff like that. And now he's like, okay, where is this coming from? Well, this is where it's coming from. You know, the, the envy from one over another, selfish ambition. That, that's the root of nearly all evil and of all sin, is this selfish ambition. He goes on, verse 5, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There's a lot of things meaningless under the sun that he has noticed. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep, keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. All right. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And again, a lot of this is just, he's just, his mind and he's just uh, putting this stuff out. But I think he, whether intentionally or not, and I think probably intentionally, he stumbles on a very important principle, an important idea right here. And, and I think it's, it's really important for us to, to recognize this. So he's talked about this inequality, this oppression, uh, this separation between people, uh, that it's, it's a result of, of envy, of selfishness, uh, of all of this. And then he gets to talking about a man who is alone or a person who is alone, trying to do things uh, on their own for themselves, right? And that, that, it, that it is meaningless. And then all of a sudden he says it's not good for someone to be alone. And he gives these, it starts giving these examples of the importance of being connected with someone. Right? And I, I want to kind of take a, a broad sense of this and uh, of this principle. Um, because I think it, it makes sense, but many times our minds go to um, just, okay, well, that's our spouse. Or, you know, that's a, a very close friend. I think that's part of it. But it's also, it's kind of moving from this completely selfish point of view as one person to recognizing, no, we need other people involved in this. We need to recognize that other people matter, that they can come alongside of us and we can kind of go through this life together. 
Now, if we started seeing that, so one of the root causes of oppression and inequality, right, is that we don't we see other people as a hindrance or a burden rather than someone who can actually come and, and help us through life. Right? So in a big picture, I think this idea of not being alone, of understanding that we're going through life and we're going through the world with other people, and those other people matter, and those other people that if we will actually engage and get connected with them, life will be better for us as well. Right? And, and, and he, so he has all of these different, you know, that it, it, you can gather more warmth, that all of this stuff is better if you're doing it with someone else and that you are stronger. And I, I think there's, there's something that's very important there. And I, and I also think that this uh, spills over whenever we talk about the importance of a church community, of a faith community. You know, who are those people that we're putting around us that help us engage life, help us engage the frustration of life? You know, I, I found that if uh, <laughs> whenever I am going through a frustrating situation, whatever it may be, right, whether it's related to, uh, you know, job stuff or whether it's related to family things, if I try to deal with it strictly on my own, it's going to lead to more frustration eventually. Right? I may be able to patch it here and there, and I may be able to keep things afloat, but eventually I'm just going to get more frustrated because I realize, hey, I can't do this. But if I will actually invite maybe my wife along, or maybe some of those who are, who are, are close to me, who I trust, and who I can share what, what is burdening me, what is frustrating me, all of a sudden you start hearing some different perspectives and that frustration level does go down. And, and I, I think what, what he's trying to say here is how important it is that we realize we are not strictly individuals in this world. We are interacting with other people and that is important. And we need to see people as God sees them. And, uh, and we, we tend to do this, you know, we are, we are a rugged individualistic society. And there's some good things that come with that. But there are also some negatives. You know, and I mean, you even see it uh, in, in marriages where rather than trying to do things on your, together on your own, that things have started to seep into that marriage and you feel like, no, you know what, I don't, I don't want to bring uh, my spouse into this. I don't want them to have to you know, deal with what I'm dealing with. All of that just causes more frustration. And so there's, uh, I, I really think there's something to this importance of recognizing uh, that, that we are more than just an individual walking through the world that it is important to engage with others, and especially engage with those who we know have our best interest at heart, who, who kind of have our uh, view of life. That's why a church family, I believe, is so important, because that allows us and helps us to be able to engage in the frustration of life uh, more. Now, you probably heard that the very end, this is a phrase that is used a lot, and it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so basically you think about, I, I think about those white cotton ropes, you know, that are, that are wound. And, uh, and so you have actually three of them braided together. Right? And that clearly 
is, is stronger than just one. We all understand that. I do think it's interesting how the writer here, he's talking about two, and he's clearly talking about human relationships. And he's going two, 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 and then he just kind of throws in, hey, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Well, what's he talking about? Where did this third uh, person come in? Well, I think he's obviously, and it's, it's such a simple example, but so pertinent. He's obviously talking about God in that. That God is weaved in with us and with our relationships and that he is an integral part in it. And, and I know that's a simple illustration, but it is one that, that we have a hard time doing. Because what we like to do is, is we, we like to kind of take that strand of God, we, we like to keep, keep it, but we kind of put it over here. And on Sundays and on certain times or whenever we feel like it, we'll go and we'll kind of wind it up, right? And then we get back in the, the world, and uh, sometimes it's a choice of ours. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we just get so frustrated and focused on life that, that what we realize is, man, that's, we're just kind of we're walking around that one strand and leaving it there by itself. And it is so important that we recognize that, man, we are going to go crazy in this world because it doesn't make sense. And it is frustrating. And what sin has done in the world, it just makes, you know, we sang that song that we see, see the world in, in new light. Well, the way we do that is because we're seeing it through God. Without, we are seeing a world that is not bright and colorful. Right? You have to be, have that third strand wrapped around. Or that will not happen. And Ecclesiastes, he, he goes on and he, he kind of opens up just a little bit. Just uh, We're going to skip five. Four. So it's just a, he has another little thought there at the end of chapter four. But in chapter five, he says this. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Hmm. That phrase, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Basically what that is saying, God knows what he's doing. He sees the big, big picture you're on earth, you are overwhelmed, and you don't get it. Right? That's okay. But that's the reality. Is you, you're not going to see the world the way that God does. And so, so let your words be few. <laughs> and he talks about that numerous times in this little, this little section. of When you enter into the house of the Lord, let your words be few. Be quiet. Listen. Allow God to be the one who speaks. Man, there's a really important principle here. Because in order to be quiet and to listen, you actually kind of have to humble yourself. Right? You actually have to kind of let your guard down. And you know what? If we would actually approach the three strands... 
that way with our relationship with other people as well as our relationship with God, we would probably be a whole lot better off. And it's interesting that he says this because this is one of the things that we constantly are trying to fix the problems. And so we see the world and we see the problems and it's like, okay, how do we go about fixing them? And we talk and we talk and we talk. One of the things that we need to incorporate there is, man, we need to just listen to God. And you know what? I think he will start opening our eyes and that we will see the world in a different way. And we will be able to see the inequality and the, uh, and the oppression. But we will also be able to see it through his eyes and that he is going to make everything right one day. And we can make progress towards that. But we're going to, we know that ultimately justice is going to be found in his hands. One thing that he says here, he says, uh, <laughs> go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Right? I think what he's saying here is basically we get into this mode of going to church, going through the motions, and we do it, but we never take the time to just be quiet and to listen and to recognize maybe where we're going wrong. You know, in order to get that cord of three strands and for it to be strong and to strengthen us, we do have to take those times to listen to God, to allow Him to speak to us. We're going to close out service today. And this is something we'll do every, every week during the season of Lent. We've done this the past few years. But this is going to be a passage uh, from Psalm, Psalm 51. And you can just read along and listen. But uh, I think it's one of the key steps in making sure that we're incorporating that third strand of God in our life. And this is a psalm that was written by David. Uh, after he was convicted and reminded of his sin with Bathsheba. David was a, a man after God's own heart. And what you see in David's life is that early on in his life, he was connected. He was connected with the people around him, and he was connected with God. And he was a very godly person. He became a very godly king. right? But then something happened. He got a lot of power. He kind of became a little bit lazy. He kind of started doing things on his own. And he became disconnected from those other chords. And all of a sudden he finds himself doing something that's unimaginable. Right? And then Nathan the prophet comes back and, and calls him out on it. And says, what are you doing? And David is heartbroken. And he starts to listen to God again. And he starts to wind those cords back together. And this is a passage that he writes. And I think in order for us to make sure that, that that cord of God is intertwined in our life. You know, sometimes we need to be like David. Sometimes we need to be vulnerable. Sometimes we need to listen. We need to allow God to speak in our life. To show us where we're doing things wrong. Not to chastise us or punish us, but so that we can start getting our, that cord back to the way that it's supposed to be. So that we can be reminded of God's presence, 
of his forgiveness and so that we start seeing the world through his eyes again. So let's just take a moment and let's watch this video and you can read the words. This is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love. Because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever conscious of my sin. Against you, above all, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be pure. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilt. Create for me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Then I will teach rebels your merciful ways and sinners will turn to you. O oh Lord, give me the words. Then my mouth will praise you. Certainly you do not want a sacrifice, or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifices God desires are a humble spirit. O oh God, a humble and repentant heart, you will not reject. Psalm 51, 1 through 17. You know, it is so important for us to have that humble and repentant and contrite heart so that we are able to have true relationship with God, but also relationship with other people. So that that cord becomes strong. Because within that 
passage, if you noticed, that David writes, he says, you know, my sin is before me. I am repentant. All of this stuff. And he says, please turn your face from my sins. Uh, have mercy on me so that I can go out and I can tell others. And I can help them and point them in the right direction. Ecclesiastes makes it very clear that we live in a world that is messed up. And this world needs people who can enter into it and be a light in the world and point people to the love and the forgiveness of Christ. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we're a cord of three strands. We're not trying to do it on our own. So this week, make sure that you incorporate others in your life. But more importantly than that, that God is entwined and enmeshed in your life. That He colors and impacts the way that you see the world, the way that you see other people. That's how we make a difference. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.